Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Revelation chapter 5, we're just going to uh, dip our toes into this scripture, but it's going to be the springboard as to where we're going this morning. I've entitled the message, Behold the Lamb. In August, I had started um, a little series. I didn't intend it to go beyond the one Sunday. I actually just thought it was that Sunday's message, and then it just kept brewing, and it became, Who is Jesus? Part two, and today is part of this. Who is Jesus? Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. So in, in the courts of heaven, there was a, a, a scene that was taking place. And there, John sees a scroll in the right hand of one that is seated upon the throne. And I'm going to paraphrase it. You could follow along the screen as, as it appears. And he see, and, and on this scroll it is written on both sides, but the scroll is fastened with seven seals. And he saw a powerful angel. And this angel was calling out in a voice that came as thunder. That's a voice. When there's a voice that comes as thunder, it's something that gets you to the very core. Has thunder ever startled you, caused you to jump? Has thunder ever been a vibration within you? An angel calling out in a voice like thunder, is there anyone who can open the scroll, who can break its seals? And there was no one, no one in heaven and no one on earth. No one could open these seals. No one from under the world, no one is able to break open the seals that are there. And John wept. And he wept and he wept because no one could be found to open these seals. And one of the elders turned to him and said, don't weep, John. Don't weep. Look, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David's tree has conquered and he could open the scroll. He could open it, John, and he could rip through those seven seals. And so then John turned, and when he looked, he saw the creatures and the elders all around the throne. And there was a lamb, slaughtered, but he was standing tall. The lamb, standing tall. And he came out to the one seated on the throne and he took the scroll in his right hand and the moment he took the scroll the animals the creatures and the elders fell down and they worshiped the lamb and when they worshiped the lamb they sang a new song worthy are you to take the scroll Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And then John looks again. And he heard a company of angels this time around the throne and the creatures and the elders and 10,000 times 10,000 in their numbers 
Thousands and upon thousands. Worthy is the Lamb. They sing together in a complete symphony of harmony. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings. And then every creature in heaven and on earth began to sing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever more. What has happened? Who is this Lamb? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Do you know who the Lamb is that we are speaking of in this morning's text? Because if you don't know who the lamb is, then it, it, it will, it will uh, shadow the whole message of this. You would not be able to comprehend why people, why there would be a bowing, why there would be a worship, why would there be a, a song that is sung, worthy are you. Because if you don't know who the lamb is, you can't join in with the song. Why were they singing a new song? You know, sometimes in church, we don't like when new songs are introduced. Oh, Pastor Josh, bring back the old songs. Ah, I like the old songs. They got a great message. But here in this, in the throne room, they are singing a new song, and they are singing this new song to the Lamb. Who is this Lamb? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. Key number one, you were slain, and you and by your blood you ransomed people for God uh, from every tribe and language and people and nations, and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign over the earth. For you were slain, the King James, New King James Version says, and you have redeemed us. ESV says you have ransomed us, but the New King James says you have redeemed us. Do you, know, do you understand what it is to be redeemed? Okay, so then we've got a sermon to preach because only two of you said yes. So now we've got to explain it. If you have been redeemed, then there is something that is on your life. There is a price that is over your life that means that has to be paid in order for you to be redeemed. If you don't understand what it is to be redeemed, then you don't understand that if you've ever had an outstanding debt and somebody comes along and pays that debt, they have redeemed you from the burden of that debt. And so this morning, when I say, do you understand what it means to be redeemed? It means that there was a debt on your life, a debt that was bigger than you, something that you could not pay, something that you couldn't get out of. It, this debt is bigger than the debt that some people acquired over COVID. 
You know, they have all these advertisements now. If you owe X amount of dollars over this and you can get a hold of this company and they could consolidate everything together and when they consolidate it all together and make some equal payments, they can help you get out of debt. But this debt that is overarching on your life is much larger than any of these consolidators can, could redeem you from. It is a debt that only can be paid through one individual. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. See, we're in church and we think those that have sinned are those that are outside of the church. Not us in the church. We're exempt from that. But the word of God says, for all have sinned. That means whether you're in the church or you're outside of the church, everyone has sinned. All is inclusive of everybody. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the key word is that if all of us have sinned, not just those that are in jail, not that just those that have been apprehended overnight because they have committed a crime, all have sinned. And your sin this morning could be a lie that you told. Your sin this morning could be a jealousy towards somebody who walked by you. Oh, we don't like to think of it that way. We like to think of sin as, you know, those big things. You stole a car. You broke into a bank. You took something that wasn't yours. Oh, you know. You're with somebody else's wife or somebody else's husband. Oh, we like to make the sins big things. But the sin is something that's in your head too. It's those thoughts that you have towards somebody. It's that malice and that anger in your heart. It's that unforgiveness. Oh, sin. All have sinned. You and I this morning, we have sinned. Before our feet touched the ground... Most of us sinned. Oh my gosh, it's already six o'clock. Ah. Rather than, thank you, Lord, I woke up this morning. Thank you, Lord, you gave me breath in my lungs. Thank you, Jesus, I was, I'm alive. I didn't die in my sleep. Oh my gosh, I didn't sleep a wink last night. I had a pee underneath my mattress, and it just made me so uncomfortable. But everybody wants to think that the all is only those outside of the church, rather those that are in the church. But all have sinned. And the cost of your sin can only come through the redemption of one. See, the cost of your sin is death. The cost of that little white lie that became bigger and bigger, it's death. The cost of that jealousy, it's death. We don't want to think of it, but it's true. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, the wages of the sin, the, the cost of your sin. The wages is something that I earn when I put in a work week. When you go to work, you clock in, you clock out. 
The wages is what you have received as an earning for what you have done that week. Well, your sin comes at a wage as well. And your sin comes that, to that, the cost of that wage that, that sin is death. So the next time you go and you're about to lose your anger on somebody, remember death is on the other side of that. Remember, the next time you're going to be upset and say, I'll never speak to them again. The other side of that is death. Not just death to that relationship because you've chosen not to speak to them, but the wage of cutting off. The wage of that resentment is death. The cost of your stealing, your jealousy, it's death. This is what we have to remind ourselves of. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. The wages is death, but the gift is eternal life. Psalm 49, verses 7 and 8 says, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. There is no one in this room that could ransom you from the situation of sin that you are in. There is not an individual not a prime minister, not a president, not a king, not a queen. There is not an individual that could ransom you from the debt of sin that you are in. There is only one. The word ransom in the Hebrew is pada. Pada means to redeem, and no man, no human could redeem another human from the pit of hell but God himself. Only God could reach down and redeem you from the state that you're in. Did you get quiet for a reason? The group of elders were singing a new song. And this song was a song of redemption. You see, because when you taste of the redeeming that Jesus can give you, there's a new song. It's a redemption song. You see, some of us aren't singing because <clears throat> we're not living redeemed. We're not living in the full understanding of what Jesus did to redeem us. We are not living in the full understanding of who this lamb is that this congregation of elders are worshiping. When they sing the new song, we are not understanding. This is why we could sing, worthy, worthy is the lamb. And not sing it with the exclamation of, worthy is the lamb. Because we don't fully comprehend the price that that lamb had paid, nor do we comprehend who the lamb was. Because if we comprehended who the lamb was, 
and the extent that he went to in order to remove the wage of our sin, the cost of our sin, the debt of our sin. Oh, you just think, that's no big deal, Pastor Melody. Why are you making such a big deal about it? I just told a little lie. Yeah, but that little lie in the ear of that little ear became big in their mind. And when they told somebody else, through the translation of how they heard it, it became bigger yet. It was never just a little lie. Because within that little lie was a great big seed of a lie. I'm just using the term lie because somehow when you talk about drugs and, and alcohol and, and sex and all these things, it's like, why do they always dwell on that? Okay, so let's dwell on lying. Something everybody does. We can't sing the new song because we haven't tasted of the redemption. We can't sing holy forever. Because we haven't tasted of it. They were singing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, by your blood, you ransomed, you redeemed people for God. Every tribe, every language, every nation. You know what that means? Every people group will be there. If you have a bias, it's good to get rid of it here because you're all going to be hanging out up there forever. From the beginning of time, we have to understand who this lamb is. From the beginning of time, Adam and Eve were created, and they're created in this garden. And they were told one thing, not to partake of the tree of good of, of knowledge. And what did they do? The enemy comes in and he, he tempts Eve. Did God really say? You know doubt is another big lie, right? Did God really say? And, and Eve buys into this temptation and she partakes of what he offers her. Like a good woman, she persuaded the man at her right side. And he partook too. And together they both walked into that door of sin. And then when they realized they were naked, they hid. And the Lord comes, and the sound of the Lord coming caused Adam to run and hide from him. And, Adam, and God called out, Adam, why are you, where are you? Where are you, Adam? And he says, well, well Lord, when I heard that you were coming, I hid. Because we were naked. You see, when we realize that our sin has been exposed, we don't want anybody to see us. We don't want anybody to know the truth of what we really are, who we really are. And so we hide. And so Adam hid, and the Lord was not pleased with this. The Lord said, Adam, who told you you were naked? Who told you? And so what happened? God has to put Adam and Eve out of the garden. But before he puts them out of the garden, he clothes them with animal skins. 
Now, the scripture does not say that he sacrificed the lamb and clothed Adam and Eve, but we can understand that an animal such as a lamb was killed so that Adam and Eve could leave with a covering. He wasn't going to put them out of the garden naked as they were. Read in between the lines. He was going to make sure that they were going out with a covering because he had a plan. But we know that the animal that was sacrificed was no doubt a lamb because just chapter 4 of Genesis talks about Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel were workers of the land and the field. And it comes time that they're mature enough that they offer an offering up to the Lord. And Abel offers from his animals a lamb without a blemish, the firstborn. And Cain offers a grain. When the Lord looked upon Abel's offering, the Lord was well pleased. Who is the lamb? Who is the lamb? From the beginning of time, even when the Lord put Adam and Eve out of the garden, he had a plan of redemption in place, and he lays it out for us. And so here we see Cain and Abel offering up their sacrifices to God. And when God was well pleased with Abel's offering, Cain gets just a little bit jealous. And he's like, hmm. And God says, Cain, verse 6 of chapter 4, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Why is your face fallen down like that? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And what its desire is for you. But you must run over it. Sin is crouching at the door. See, and a lamb has been sacrificed. A lamb has been offered to me because that is my redemption plan. Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Sin wants to overtake you. Sin wants to have rulership over you. And look, it's already showing itself through your jealousy and your anger. Cain, if you were to do good also, wouldn't you be accepted? In order for man's sin to be atoned for, there had to be the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament times, there had to be the shedding of blood. And in this case, it was of an unblemished lamb. A lamb that had no spot. A lamb that did not have a, a bend in its ear. A lamb who had perfect hoofs. There had to, this lamb had to be perfect. 
Adam and Eve sinned and the Lord established through the sacrifice of an animal that they would be covered. And that continued through the trend of time. And in John chapter 1, John sees Jesus coming in verse 29 to 34. And when he sees Jesus coming, he says what? Behold the Lamb of God. The next day, verse 29, he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man whose ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And then the next day when John again was standing with two of his disciples, he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And what did those disciples do? They saw him and they followed. Who is this Lamb? He is Jesus, the Son of God of God. Because Mark tells us that when Jesus was baptized, and John alluded to it, when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit in the form of a dove descended upon Jesus. And a voice came from heaven, this is my son. Who is the lamb that they are worshiping? Who is the lamb whose blood was shed? It was Jesus, the Son of God. And if you don't comprehend that Jesus, the Son of God, chose to shed his blood for you, then you can't understand how there would be a chorus of worship of people bowing down before God and saying worthy because none is worthy but Jesus none is worthy but God and so unless you are singing the song of the redeemed this morning you can't comprehend the songs that are sung the world was lost God saw that the world was lost because that was initiated by Adam and Eve He saw that they needed a savior. And the punishment for that sin, the punishment for their their actions was death. But he had his son to come. He sent forth his son into the world so that the world could be saved. Why? Because he wished that none would perish. Without Jesus being sacrificed, there would be no redemption. Without Jesus being sacrificed, there would not have been a price that was paid. If God had not sent his son into the world, then today you and I would be just left to the merits of our sin. We would be left to the cost of our sin. And some of us today would be in a very frightful mess. 
Because the things that God redeemed us out of was taking the very life out of us. For some of you, you wouldn't be alive today if not for the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we sit week after week in church, holy forever. But when we taste and know of his redemption, it's a whole new song. A whole new song. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, divine yet human, the son of God but yet born of Mary, gave up his life, why? So that you and I could be justified just as if I never sinned. That's what justification is. Just as though you've never sinned. He gave up his life. The Son of God gave up his life for the unjust. The sinless Son of God for the sinless world, for the sinful world. The sinless Son for the sinful world. Not because he was sinful but because he was the only one that could sacrifice. Because God, in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What? So that if you would believe in him today, you would not perish to the wages of your sin. You would not die to your sin. The cost that has been put on you for your sin for your hate, for your jealousy, for your lying, for your stealing, that cost that is on that sin would not be held against you because God loved you so much not to leave you in that pit of jealousy, not to leave you in that pit of bitterness, not to leave you in that place of hatred, but to redeem you from that place. So he sent his son, the only one that was without sin, to pay that price for you. And John sees Jesus coming. And when he sees Jesus coming, behold the Lamb. Why? Because he beheld him. His eyes were fixed upon him. And when his eyes were fixed upon the eyes of Jesus, those eyes conveyed the love. Those eyes conveyed redemption. Those eyes spoke forgiveness. And when his eyes fixed and locked with the eyes of Jesus, he knew that this was the Son of God. He knew because he saw how the Spirit descended. He knew because God spoke to him and said, when you see the Spirit descend. And so now as Jesus is walking towards him and his eyes have locked with love and his eyes have locked with the one who will be the Savior of the world, he says, behold the Lamb of God. But he doesn't just say it in a fashion of, behold, the Lamb of God. He said, he declares that word behold like a clarion call. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. 
And so John sees him and he's fixed. Have you beheld the Savior today? Have you beheld him? You know, some of us get caught up in that idea of, um, you know, witnessing. It's only for the evangelist. It's only for those missionaries that are called to go out in the street and go, you know, hand out tracks. Here, have a track, have a track. And we say, oh, I can't witness. I can't witness, you know, like, uh, I don't know enough of the Bible. I'm going to tell you this. If you have beheld Jesus, and you have been redeemed, and you know the cost of that redemption, that's all that you need to go and tell another. That's all that you need. Come and let me tell you about a man who saved me. My life was destined for hell. But come and let me tell you about a man who looked upon me and didn't regard me for my sin and didn't regard me for my faults and didn't see me in the decrepitness that I was in. But no, he looked upon me for love and he said, for you I will die and for you I will die. Come, let me tell you about about a man who has forgiven me. You don't need to know Genesis through Revelations. You just need to know of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that saved you from your sin. And you need to taste of that redemption. And when you taste of that redemption, oh, you want everybody else to taste of it too. You want them to know that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. If you beheld him, then you have something to declare this morning. John himself said, I myself, verse 31, did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed. John didn't even dive into the accolades of Jesus. Yeah, well, you know, I, I baptized him, you know, as a part of the whole picture. Did you know that I was the one who put him in the waters? John's like, no, I didn't even know him. I didn't know him. But I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed. Let me ask you something. Consider that for a moment. God tells John that when he baptizes and the spirit comes as a form of a dove upon a man that that man would be his son have you ever been out and about and you feel that imprompting to speak to somebody and you're like no i just can't speak to them they'll just think i'm weird i don't even know who they are after all i did not even know him but i came baptizing that he might be revealed. I didn't know him, but I obeyed God when God said to me to baptize. And that in my baptizing, I would see the Spirit descend upon the one that would be the Son of God. And so I went baptizing him. I didn't know him, but I obeyed. And when I obeyed, the Spirit of God revealed to me who the Son of God was. So that you, Israel, may be saved. So that you, Israel, would be redeemed. You don't have to know every nook and cranny, but you have to know Jesus and share Jesus.
sing the song of the redeemed. When John said, behold, I told you, he was saying, look, look, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, the Lamb of God. He was heralding. It was that everybody in the area could hear what John was saying. John declares in one sentence the greatest work that Jesus would do, and that was to pay the redemption for your life. When he said the Lamb of God over a group of Jewish people, when they know that a lamb had to be offered in order for their sins to be forgiven, and now they hear John say, Behold the Lamb. Look, it's Jesus, the Lamb of God. They know that right there in that instant, the world's problem of sin from the beginning of time to that moment has been dealt with and will be dealt with by this one man who is standing there, Jesus, the Lamb of God. John declared to all in just those words, Jesus, the Lamb of God. Four words declared the destiny for which he came, to redeem you, to redeem me. Why? Because he was a lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. He was a lamb that was offered in the Garden of Eden to cover Adam and Eve. He would be that lamb that would be offered as a substitute when Abraham had to offer his son. Can we look at those scenarios? Abraham promised to be the father of the nations. 99 years old, come on, give me a break. How many 99-year-old men? That had to be a covenant that God was making with him. That had to be a promise that God was making with him. And now, fast forward, he has a son. His name is Isaac joy, laughter. And God says, Abraham, I want you, in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only son. Could we just engage in a moment of the argument of Abraham's mind? You want me to sacrifice my only son and ruin my opportunity for the promise which you declared that I would be the father of many nations. Okay, God, let's go and do it. And Abraham makes the trek with his son. And his son is looking at everything, and he's like, Dad, we have the wood. We have it all, but um, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And Abraham, as prophetically unaware that he was, said, God will provide a lamb. God will provide a lamb. That's right. That's right, Abraham. God always provides a lamb. When you walk in obedience, there's provision. God will provide a lamb. God always provides a lamb. Look at the children of Israel when the Egyptians were over them and We come to the last plague of Exodus chapter 12, I think it is. And and God declares to Moses that they would have to sacrifice a lamb because the plague would go after the firstborn of every household. 
Be that firstborn a child or be that firstborn an animal. The firstborn of every household was going to be taken by this plague. But God makes a plan. You sacrifice a lamb and cover the doorposts of the home. And Moses, when I see the blood on the doorposts, I'm going to pass over you. I'm going to pass over you, and that plague of death will not come to your home. You know what? That we may not realize either way there was a death to every Israeli home that day. Because we think, God saw the blood and he passed over and nobody died. No, there was a lamb that died so that there would be blood to put over the door. Because that without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption from your sin. There is no redeeming you without the shedding of blood. So while we are all happy and we watch the Ten Commandments and we're like, yay! The plague didn't get the home. Nobody died. There was a lamb that died. There was still a death. There was still a sacrifice. So that house would be preserved. So that house would be untouched. Oh, so that you would be untouched and you would be covered by the Lord. There was the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the shedding continued. Aaron, one of the Levitical priests, he's offering, making offerings to the Lord in Leviticus chapter 9. And, he's, and he makes the burnt offering. And he makes the sin offering. And he makes the grain offering. Because they want to enter into the holy place. And the blood is thrown upon the altar. You could read it for yourself. I'm just summarizing. You go to Leviticus chapter 9. Make a note in your notes. Leviticus chapter 9, 12 to 24, and you read it. And he makes these offerings to the Lord. But the beautiful thing at the end of these sacrifices, there is a shedding of blood. And Moses and Aaron go into the tent of meeting. And what happened? The glory of the Lord appeared to all of the people and the fire came and consumed their offering and all the people rejoiced you know what you want to see the glory of the lord go through the blood of the lamb go through the blood of the lamb i want to see your glory lord confess your sins go through the blood of the lamb Lord, I want a taste of your glory. Go through the blood of the Lamb. That's why Chronicles says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn, turn. We have to turn from our former ways to see that glory. We can't cuss someone out and praise God with the same breath. You can't. It won't work. It will avail you nothing. So we see the, the transition of blood through the, the, the shedding of blood through the series of the Old Testament scriptures. 
And Hebrews 9 says this to us. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of his creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats, and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. And whose eternal redemption is he securing? Yours and mine. That we may be secured in him. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of blood, flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without a blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living God. The writer of Hebrews is saying, if once upon a time the shedding of the blood of the goats and the heifers offered us a redemption, how much more when the Son of God gives of himself to shed of his blood? There is no greater price that could be paid than the redeeming blood of the Lord Jesus Christ because he came to be that sacrifice. Whether you like it or not, he came to die for you. Whether you can comprehend it or not, he came to die for you. It wasn't just for those that were there that day that flogged him, that spit upon him, that ridiculed him, that mocked him when they put the crown of thorns upon his head. No, he looked forward in time and he saw our faces and he saw you in your sin place and he said, for you, for you, I will die. For you, I am willing to empty of myself of the life-giving blood that you may have eternal life that for you the redemption of the passing over would be over your head why because he said in Matthew 26 for this my is my is my blood of covenant which was poured out for what the forgiveness of sins my covenant with you is the pouring out of my blood so that you could have forgiveness of sins. That's, just, that's what Jesus was saying. He had his last meal with his, with his disciples. And he wanted them to know, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And this covenant is going to be my blood. Because without my blood, you're left in your sin mess. Without my blood, you're lost. He's the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. He was the lamb, the animal that was slain so that Adam and Eve in their nakedness could be covered. He was the lamb that would prove to Abraham, I will always provide for you. I will always make a way. He was the Passover lamb for Israel when the plague of death wanted to come and knock on their door covered by my blood 
covered by my blood, covered by my blood. And he's the lamb that became the guilt offering when Aaron did his priestly duties. I'm covering your guilt by the shedding of my blood. You have guilt today for your sin? Feel guilty for the things that you have done, the things that you have said, the actions that you have had? Jesus is that covering. He is Isaiah's lamb. What does Isaiah's lamb look like? Oh, Jesus, the lamb. Can I read it to you from the Amplified? It says it so beautifully, verses 4 to 8. You could follow what's up on the board, but listen. It says, but in fact, he has borne our griefs, and he has carried our sorrows and pains. Yet we ignorantly assumed that he was stricken, struck down by God and degraded and humiliated by him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing. The punishment required for our well-being, it fell upon him. And by his stripes, wounds, we are healed. All of us have, like sheep, have gone astray. Not one of us in this room have not gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wickedness of all of us, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing, to fall upon him instead. Who is him? The Lamb of God. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth to complain or defend himself. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he did not open his mouth. After oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, his contemporaries, who among them concerned himself with the fact that he was cut off from the land of the living, by his death. Why? For the transgression of you and I. For our sins. For our sins, our injustices, our wrongdoings. You put yourself in the courtroom today, and the judge is sitting before you, and the judge is saying to you, Guilty. I sentence you. By the authority given to me in the court of law, in the province of Ontario, I sentence you to life. And Jesus still comes quietly into the courtroom and he stands in between you and the judge and he says, I will take the sentence. Sir, I don't know where you've come from. I don't know who you are. I am the lamb, and I will take their sentence. It's appropriate to tell the story, though I told it before. So humor me to listen to it again. I was in an accident, one of a few. And so I had to go to court for my ticket. And my ticket was going to cost me several points. 
Because you know, accidents do that to you. And it was going to cost me several dollars by the hundreds to pay for that ticket. And so I was confident that I was not guilty because the light that I went through was green. The passengers in the car could attest to the green light. An officer friend told me, no, it wasn't my daughter or my son-in-law, they weren't even officers at the time, told me that there are times when the light sequencing, sequencing will go off schedule and that, yes, it does happen that there can be two green lights that will run at the same time. It's not often, but it does happen. And so please, when you are in the court, please ask if the sequencing of the lights have been, were, were tested. Because if they weren't tested, your ticket is null and void. And so I thought, oh yeah, well, I was confident. It was a green light. I went through the green light because that's what you do. You go through green, you stop at red. I know enough. And so I went to the courtroom and I'm P in the alphabet. That time I wish I was D, DeVito. I would have been at the beginning, but no, I got married and I was P at the end of the alphabet. I had to wait for everybody to go before me and I was called up. And I go up and I stand before, um, oh geez, what are they called? The in, the in between person. No, the, the, the um, justice, not justice of the peace. Uh, yeah, okay, so anyways, just imagine that person that you go to before you stand before the judge, okay? Anyway, so I go before them, and they're, they're like, Melody, um, you've been charged, could be justice of the peace, I don't know, whatever. Um, you, uh, you've been charged with uh, running a red light that's going to cost you X amount of points and X amount of dollars. And, and my heart sank because the, those X amount of dollars weren't liquid in my bank account time. And so um, I was like, um, well, uh, I just want to know, was there a sequence check on the lights? She just looked up at me and she says, I have your file before me. I have made my offer. You either accept my offer and plead guilty, or you will go further in the courts. You will have to hire a lawyer, and it will cost you several thousands of dollars, but you may go and sit down and think about that and come and speak to me afterwards. <laughs> I believe God planted my friend, uh, not a, a friend friend, but an acquaintance. And, and he said to me, Melody, why are you here? And I says, well, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, oh, yeah, well, I'm here because my daughter had an incident and she's over at university, so I've got to be on her behalf. He says, but you know what, Melody? Take the charge. You're going to lose points. A few years, it's going to wear off your record. It's okay. So I thought, well, Lord, you planted him here. I'll take the advice. So I went and I stood be before the court. I was the last one in the courtroom. I didn't think I was the last one, but I was. As I stood up, a whole bunch of people stood up behind me. They were apparently the other people in the accident. Okay. So anyways, um, I stood before the judge and, and he went through the whole rigmarole. Da-da-da, traveling on such and such a street, da -da -da, and this and this and that happened. And I said, and do you plead guilty or, or not guilty? I wanted to say, Your Honor, may I, may I explain myself? 
May I just have a moment? There was no, if guilty or not, yes or no, Mrs. Petrella. Yes, Your Honor. And I felt my body trembling. Three times I had to omit, admit that I was guilty. First and second, one for the lights, one for whatever, whatever. And then after now, he gives me a charge, uh, a new, a new uh, charge that she had made, given me. This was her offer. And I had to now admit to being guilty of what she said was going to be her offer. So instead of my points being five, they could be three. And I was like, I'm not guilty of either of them. And I stood there for what felt like an eternity to the judge, I know. And he says, Mrs. Petrella, do you have an answer? And I says, yes, Your Honor, I'm guilty. And I, I, I felt myself trembling trembling giving worse than I did the first time I said I was guilty and he says okay fine here's your here, here's your your new ticket how what, how do you like to pay it I says can I please have 30 days he says okay 30 days and I walked out of the courtroom and it took everything in my jello legs to bring me to my van and I sat in the van and I closed the door and I just began to cry and cry and cry and cry and I said lord I wasn't even guilty and now I have to pay for this ticket and now I have these points on my record and I prayed Lord and I believed you were going to you know make it right for me I'm your child I'm your daughter Lord I wasn't even guilty and I promise you with no embellishment of any record he said Neither was I, but I paid the price. And I turned because I heard it as loud as can be in my right ear, and I turned to the passenger seat, and all I could do was praise God and worship him and thank him. And I had to go to an appointment, and I cried all the way to that appointment, thanking and praising God because he pay the price i was charged guilty but he paid the price do you understand who the lamb of god is have you beheld him this morning it will change the whole trajectory to your worship it will change the whole trajectory to how you serve him it will change the whole trajectory to how you live have you beheld the lamb of god that takes away the sins of the world in that moment that he died on the cross in that moment that he died it wasn't the sins of the world as I just said but it was the sin of the world that's how John says it behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world in that moment that he died in that moment that he bled out it was all of our sin in one lump package from the beginning of time to the end of time placed upon him And he chose to die. And he chose to die. That you may have life. He chose to bleed out. That the price would be paid. 
And in the exasperation of it all, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because while the weight of the sin was upon his son, the father looked away and the son cried out, it is finished. I've come, Father, to do what you asked me to do. I finished. I went to the cross. I've bled out. But there's one more battle to be won. One more battle to be won. As he goes to conquer the one who said, did God really say? Satan, I have an appointment with you. You have lied one too many times to my people. You have caused them to believe that they could get away with things that they should not be even doing. Satan, I have an appointment with you. Today, I will be the victor. And you will be defeated. Amen. And he conquered over death and the grave. So that, yes, our physical bodies may one day die. But that soul that is within you, the one that has beheld the Christ and heard him say, neither was I, but I paid the price. That soul will be in the eternal presence of God and you will live from everlasting to everlasting with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why? Because the Lamb of God. Why? Who is this Lamb? He is the Son of God. Who is this Lamb? He was the one who shed his blood. He was the one who was in the beginning of time and he will be the one who is at the end of time. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. And church, I want to ask you today, have you beheld him? Have you beheld him? Do you know who he is? Have you received the gift of eternal life? Have you received the gift of forgiveness of sins? Oh, we're sitting too still. We should be standing. We should be saying, yes, Lord, I've received your gift. I've received your forgiveness. Yes, Lord, that is me who was guilty. Yes, Lord, that was me who was needing a redeemer. Yes, Lord, I need you. And I've received you. Because the wages of my sin was death. But Jesus, I receive your life forevermore. Life abundantly and free. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The worship team is going to come. And they're going to sing. And while they're singing, I just want you to be reflective in your hearts. Whether your reflection is demonstrated in standing and worshiping, whether your reflection is prostrating yourself before God, whether it's getting on bended knee, I'm asking you, not for me, because it merits me nothing, because as John, it's not my message, it's his message. I'm just the voice. Being obedient to the message told to give. 
respond to the Savior today. If you've never declared it, Lord, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you came and died for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. Lord, I might not think that they are great, but they were great enough to put you to the cross, and I see that. Jesus, would you forgive me and be my Savior? Then I encourage you, pray that prayer and come to the altar so that we can pray for you. We have a Bible. We have something to equip you, to start you in your journey. But if you are here and you've been serving God, today's the day that you say, Lord, I've beheld you. I have beheld you. And God, I'm stricken by you. I'm smitten by your love, Lord. I didn't deserve it, but yet you gave it to me. And so today, I will worship you. I will worship you.